All right, all right, all right. Ah, welcome back. We got a lot of familiar faces here. Come on in. Scott, why don't you join me? Sit next to me, buddy. Um, before I do a, look, a little quick chat with Scott, we got a number of folks that are doing a lot of really cool stuff in the community. If we got Jim real quick here, uh, Tom, with a quick mic by chance. Uh, good job, Harry. Jim, 60 seconds. You're, you're my best shill of Bitcoin Park in your story. You got to start with me, huh? Okay. Um, next week in Minneapolis at the Bitcoin meetup, um, my daughter, who uh, has had a lot of success on Wave Lake, thanks to Rod and uh, the Lightning Summit this past summer, um, there's going to be a live show at the Bitcoin meetup in Minneapolis, and it's going to be live streamed on RSS and Noster. Uh, and that Bitcoin meetup is sponsored by Swan. And then the following night at First Avenue, which is a big rock venue in Minneapolis, that event is also going to be live streamed, uh, lightning enabled, Bitcoin enabled on RSS and Noster. Uh, Ainsley's doing a gig and she's opening up for Just Loud. So there's two events next week. Um, that we would love to have your guys' support on. If you can jump on to Noster or RSS um, next Wednesday and Thursday live from Minneapolis. And uh, thanks to all of the devs around the world and everybody who's been helping making this happen behind the scenes. Massive round of applause. That's awesome. Steven, you want to talk about your project for real quick for 30 seconds? Hi, uh, Steven Epstein. I have a project called Freedom Ridge. We have a uh, rural subdivision where people can live off-grid or on-grid, and it's uh, just outside of Clarksville. This is about an hour and 10 minutes from downtown Nashville, with uh, starting at 15000 an acre, which is really, really cheap, especially for Nashville prices. Beautiful land, beautiful part of the country, um, and it's just a community of freedom-loving folk that uh, can shoot their guns, build <laughs> shops, uh, you know, park your RV there. You can do whatever the hell you want. You can mine Bitcoin there. Um, so it's really cool. And uh, if you have any interest, you can check out Freedom Ridge. I'm a, a member here at Bitcoin Park and uh, want to support the community here and just get uh, lots of like-minded folks doing cool shit. So thanks. Round of applause. And he does accept Bitcoin. So that's why I was really important to show him. And last but not least, I don't think Island's here, so I'm going to... But Jeff, do you have a car wash? Do you accept Bitcoin? That's awesome. Where's your car wash? Ashland City. Has anyone been to Ashland City? All right. Make a trip over to Ashland City. I've actually done it. His car wash is awesome. It's really cool. What's the name of your car wash? Shine Bright Car Wash. Is it shinebrightcarwash.com? Shinebrightcarwash.com. Seriously, give them uh, some love. Anyone else got a really cool business that's accepting Bitcoin or that wants to... Before I interrogate Scott and how he's holding over 100 Bitcoin. No? Okay. I'm going to start then. Uh, and before I actually do, I have a little small bone to pick with you. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. We met actually now over 10 years ago in New York. And uh, we actually met in a loft. And it was like 15 or 20 of us. And this is going to sound like name dropping. Or whatever. It was me, you, Jack Dorsey, and like maybe like 15 other people. And Jack was unveiling the square card reader. Do you remember this vaguely? Yeah. yeah okay. And uh, he was just showing it and so on. My beef with you is 
Because you've been accepting Bitcoin for how long? 2014. 2014. 2014. Yeah, you're a pro. You got to speak into the mic. Uh, the uh, 2014. And I'm pretty sure it was around 2014. Why did you not grab me by the neck and say, buy some Bitcoin? <laughs> Why didn't I grab? <laughs> I didn't do that myself back then. Do it by yourself, yeah, well. but like, how did you even think about? Well, how about this? Uh, how many people know about Charity Water? By the way, okay, actually, not okay. that. That's it. You want to tell about the story about yeah. Charity Water? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we are exactly what we sound like. We are a charity that helps people get clean water uh, around the world. That was the best I could do 17 years ago. So a uh, little of my background: I was born in Philadelphia, raised in a very conservative Christian family. Uh, my mom was an invalid. I was an only child taking care of her. And at 18, I went absolutely nuts. And I moved to New York City to become a club promoter. And then I spent 10 years filling up 40 nightclubs and trying to climb to the top of the you know, New York City social scene. And got pretty good at that. You know, we could, we could sell $1,000 bottles of champagne that cost us 40 bucks and $25 cocktails and all that. And hit a point where my life was just a mess. I was using drugs and I was smoking, you know, two packs of cigarettes a day and addicted to pornography and gambling and just every kind of vice that you might imagine would come with 10 years of, of nightlife. And, uh, just woke up one day, uh, well, I had kind of some existential health issues. Half my body went numb one day. And I remember I couldn't feel anything. And I remember turning on like the, the tap and I was watching the steam come off the boiling water and I stuck my arm under and nothing. So I was convinced I was going to die of some brain tumor. Or, you know, something was very wrong with me. And that just led to this question, like, if I actually did die, what would my life have meant? And the only thing I could think of that you would write on my tombstone is here lies a guy who got a million people drunk, maybe two million at that <laughs> point. Uh, over 10 years. And that led to, uh, I wound up getting brain scans and MRIs and CTs and they couldn't find anything wrong with me. And six months later, the symptoms just kind of disappeared and I could feel again. But I, uh, I, it led to a very radical life change where I sold everything I owned and I wanted to start life over again at 28 years old. Uh, I wanted to find the opposite, the 180 degree opposite of my life. I think I, I realized a pivot was not in order. I was just a degenerate scumbag. And I had this idea that maybe I could volunteer for one year on some sort of humanitarian mission and be useful to others or be useful to the world. So I applied to the 10 famous charities that I'd heard of at the time, uh, Save the Children, the Red Cross, Salvation Army, and a Doctors Without Borders. And it turns out that none of them are looking for nightclub promoters. So I am denied by all 10 of these charities. And finally, one organization writes back and says, if I'm willing to pay them $500 a month to volunteer, and if I'm willing to go live in post-war Liberia, West Africa, which was the poorest country in the world, uh, I had never even heard of Liberia at the time. I thought it was a champagne or something. And, uh, you know, then I could, I could join their mission as a photojournalist. Now, technically, I was not a photojournalist, <laughs> but I knew how to write and I knew how to take pictures. And uh, at 28 years old, I left kind of nightlife uh, and I went to go live with this group of doctors and surgeons who were embedded in a country with no electricity, no running water, no sewage, no mail that had just come out of a 14 year civil war. And I loved it. 
I loved telling stories of what these doctors were doing. Uh, I quit smoking and I quit the drugs and the gambling and the porn and all that stuff and kind of, you know, vowed to uh, maybe adopt clean living. And the, the year turned into two years. And of all the stuff that I saw, I lived in leprosy colonies. Uh, I saw people with, you know, missing faces, people who had been uh, disfigured by rebel soldiers who would pour oil hot oil on their faces and bodies to disfigure them. I mean, I saw horrific suffering. Uh, but of all the things I saw, I remember watching a child drink dirty water. And this little girl came out of her house and she walked up to a swamp and water that was so gross, I wouldn't give to an animal. You know, I watched her just drink it and basically poison herself. And I learned half of the country I was living in was drinking toxic water every day. And half of the disease in the country was because people were drinking bad water. And at the end of that second tour in West Africa, you know, I kind of had my issue and just said, well, what if I came back to New York? And what if I tried to bring clean water to everybody on the planet before I died? And the good thing is there were only 1.2 billion people that didn't have water at the time. So uh, it, it felt like a, a big challenge. And that was that moment was 17 years ago. And what's the number now out of curiosity? We're down to 700 million. Hell yeah. And we've grown population. So we went from one in six in the world. Yeah. So when I started, one in 10 people alive didn't, uh, sorry, one in six people alive didn't have water. And now it's one in 10 people alive. But it's freaking one in 10 people alive. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So as we sit here in this room that doesn't sound very good, (laughs) you know, two Americas full of people are poisoning themselves because of the conditions they were born into. So uh, 82% of those people live in rural areas and 18% live in cities and towns. So it's a massive human problem. Let's show of hands real quick. Anyone been to West Africa out of curiosity? I have. I've been to uh, Burkina Faso, Ouagadougou. Yeah, no, we worked and, there. Well, yeah, and not Bobo many people have been there. You no, know, I think the third poorest country is what they were telling me at the time. And uh, providing, like, so solving water, I guess, like why, I mean, I understand why solving water, but at the core, why make water the core issue to solve? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, even with a problem so big, there is still not a single philanthropist in the world that has raised their hand and said, oh, I'm going to get everybody in the world water. I mean, God bless Elon, but he is looking for water 142 million miles away on Mars. Like, you know, as you go up in your spaceship and you look down at our planet, 10% of the planet is going without the most basic need for human life or the most basic need for health. So I think, you know, why water? Um, I've now been to Africa 55 times. I've been to 72 countries. It doesn't matter whether I'm in Africa or India or Southeast Asia or Central and South America. You know, water touches every aspect of life. So there are 28 diseases that are tracked back to water. Uh, if you don't have water, uh, or if your children don't have water, uh, many of them will die of diarrhea. Now, I have three kids. You've got four. My kids get diarrhea. I go to the Duane Reed, and I buy Pedialyte to rehydrate my children. But if the dirty water from the swamp or the river made your kids sick, and it's just this cycle of, of death. So uh, water impacts health. Water impacts education. I'm sure there's people here who are you know, passionate about education. Uh, half of the schools throughout the developing world don't have water. So imagine sending your kid to a school with no water and no toilets. 
the sanitation piece is actually why so it's one of the top three reasons why girls drop out of school. Uh, they have to go walk for water, and there's no sanitation. So they get their period, they stay home four or five days every month, fall behind in their studies, and there's already enormous social pressure against the girls to be educated uh, because they're so useful getting the water, uh, helping out at home. So there's an impact on education. And then, you know, just women and girls in the local economy, uh, women in Africa alone will waste 40 billion hours walking for water. So that is, I realize this is a slightly ironic example, but it is more than the entire global workforce of France. So every single person working, <laughs> or sort joke. of working, <laughs> in the country of France, you know, <laughs> doesn't add up to the time wasted by women. So, you know, when you can reclaim seven hours a day that a woman is walking back and forth yeah, for water, seven days a week, because if you don't get water on the weekends, your family goes without water, you know, you instantly give 49 hours back to a woman, uh, she turns it into income. So there's, there are all of these things that, that water... Uh, you know, there's, there's a 88 page report that found every dollar you invest or every Bitcoin, I guess you invest into water yields four to eight times that income for the local community, the health savings, education improvement, and then the time turned into money. So that's why water, I guess. Yeah. So this is 20 now years ago, uh, 17 years, 17, we 17. Ago. 17 years ago. And you started with one, probably well, and one area. I did. I started with one well. Yeah. And now let's, how about this? We're going to fast, fast yeah. forward to today because I want to open, I definitely have leave time for people to ask you questions. And I know you got some questions for the audience as well um, as it relates to Bitcoin. Like where are we today with Charity Water then? Yeah. So we're, we're at about $900 million raised now. Um, Dude, that is awesome, man. We've turned out. Uh, real quick on your funding model is a unique yeah. funding model that I think OpenSats is like also similar which is any dollar donated to charity water goes directly out. And then you have an operating model or operating budget as well and funding. Well, you maybe you want to explain that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so I, I think I maybe like many entrepreneurs, I, I didn't know any better when I started. So I knew nothing about how to build a charity or I knew nothing about institutional philanthropy. Um, I just knew people who were my age and they went to nightclubs and they worked at Sephora or MTV or VH1 or Chase Bank. And they all hated charities. They didn't trust charities. There was this huge skepticism, uh, which I think you know is very similar to you know, this community when it comes to institutions or you know certainly the the financial institutions. So the thought was that charities waste donations. Uh, interestingly, a, a recent study found seven out of ten Americans believe charities waste their money, and of that, three out of them believe charities badly wasted their money. I would be in the seven and the three. You'd be in the seven and the three. Um, so, you know, when I started, I thought, well, what, what would the perfect charity model look like? How, how could we reach out to these skeptical, disenchanted people and get them to give, get them interested in being generous and in solving the problems in the world? Uh, in our case, helping, you know, 700 million people get water. So I just had you know, a very simple idea. Well, what if I opened up two separately audited bank accounts and made this promise that 100% of what anyone ever donated, whether it was a dollar or a million dollars or a krona or, you know, a, a, you know, or a Bitcoin uh, or a thousandth of a Bitcoin, where all of that would go directly to build water projects 
in these nations and get people clean water. And then in the separately audited bank account, the overhead account, I would go and raise all that money separately from a small group of entrepreneurs and business leaders and donors. I mean, if we had time, I could tell you how difficult that was for so many years because we always had so much money for water because that was a resonant idea and it was always you know, so difficult to make payroll. Uh, but that has turned out to be a real distinctive of the organization. I think, you know, as we soon cross now a billion dollars raised, um, that is what people cite. Uh, I remember I had a drug dealer donate $500 once. And he said, this is the first charitable donation I have ever made in my life, but I know where my $500 is going, where all of it is going. And, you know, just one, one extra detail there now for 17 years, so that there isn't, there's total integrity in the hundred percent model. We pay back all the credit card transaction fees incurred. So if somebody were to go on our website and give a thousand dollars on their Amex, sadly, Amex takes 3%. And they dropped 970 in our bank account. So we go out and raise the 3% that Amex took, uh, marry it with the 970, and then we send the 1,000 and we track it. So there's really been a church and state. And you know, it's people like Jack Dorsey who are happy to pay for the overhead. It was uh, the founders of Spotify and Pinterest and Shopify and you know, a lot of Matt Mullenweg at WordPress or Chris Saka, you know, VCs, like people who had built businesses we're happy to raise their hands and have their donations go to software engineers or UI UX engineers or, or water experts so that now millions of people could give in the, in the purest way possible. So that's been a real kind of key to the model. That is freaking awesome. So uh, I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll open it up to everybody here to ask some questions. Um, it was awesome. You, Bitcoin, well, two questions. Bitcoin, um, who, who, by the way, who told you to... Collect, Any, anybody heard of a guy named Pete Brigger from Fortress? Yeah. Okay, so Pete was my introduction many years ago. Uh, and I remember we used to do this gala in New York City, and this is 2014. Oh, yeah. And Tony Hawk was a, was a friend and actually an overhead donor. And he came to the gala, and he had pledged $1,500, and he paid for it with 4.8 Bitcoin. <laughs> they were $314 each. So that was our first Bitcoin experience. I don't remember how we took it in at the time and sold his 4.8 Bitcoin. But, you know, that's what charities do is you don't. So we get donated assets all the time. We are never allowed to take a position on an asset. Technically allowed, right? You give me Apple stock, I sell it instantly because you gave me $100,000 of Apple stock and you know, I don't know if it's going up or down. What if it goes down and it becomes 80 grand? Well, then I lost 20% of your donation. So, you know, we were very early in the acceptance, you know, at 300 a coin. And then I think uh, that year I went out to everybody who attended the gala and I'm like, well, listen, if Tony has five Bitcoin, if any of you have any Bitcoin, you know, we now accept it in 2014. So uh, leading up to a couple of years ago, right before COVID, we took in 569 Bitcoin. And we sold them for a grand total of $4 million. So 500, and that's just what we did. And we helped 100,000 people. So that $4 million turned into, 100% went straight to the field. And you know, 569 Bitcoin in real time as it came in at 314 or 912 or 1216, you know, was immediately liquidated and then turned into clean water projects for people. 
And then uh, I started learning more about it and and met uh, Wences Cesaris and got to spend some time with him uh, as he became a donor to the organization and Pete Brigger and, and some others, uh, obviously Jack, who was, who was talking about it. And then a couple of years ago said, well, what if we tried to do something different? What if we actually did take a position and we held it? So we started a fund uh, that would take in Bitcoin and we would lock it up for five years. So all the Bitcoin that we would take in, we'd put in cold storage. We couldn't touch it. We would tie our hands and we would either look smart or dumb, you know, was the idea. I mean, our board was, uh, our board was interested in the idea, but I had to sell them on the fact that, listen, I know this community. At this point, nobody's going to give us Bitcoin to immediately liquidate it and go build a well. They're going to give us any other form of asset, you know, from cash to stock to, you know, maybe gold rather than than Bitcoin if we're just going to immediately liquidate it. So uh, through that fund, we took in, it was, it was a campaign. I spoke at the, the Bitcoin conference in Miami and we took in 104 and then we just locked it up. And I was saying last year, I did not look smart because we had to take... A four, almost a $4 million loss or $3 million loss kind of on our, on our books because the IRS says, well, what are your, what's your asset worth on 1231? Uh, and now we're looking, now I think we're back to even. <laughs> Good deal. Same here. But really, you know, this is, this is a, a much longer play for us. Yeah, absolutely. So did you come up with this, the huddle strategy? I did. I did, yeah. And you're huddling till January 2025, I believe? At least, but maybe yeah. longer. We just, we just tied our hands yeah. until mid-2025 at the earliest. And, you know, I think we now have some smart advisors and maybe we continue to hold. Dude, that's awesome. Um, but the, the idea is that 100% of that fund will go directly to give water projects. So I believe that in the future, uh, it's going to help a lot more people get clean water than it would today. Yeah. yeah. So um, how, how did Scott come up here tonight? He actually cold outreached. I don't even know who connected. Yeah, uh, I was, somebody's like, do you know that there's a Bitcoin park in Nashville? <laughs> I was at the Soho House meeting somebody and they're like, you should meet Rod. That's awesome. So Scott reaches out and I'm like, of course I know you, Scott. Like, uh, I got a better option than Soho House to meet. Why don't you come to Bitcoin Park and let's have a chat? And uh, Scott had mentioned that he'd been uh, li- uh, with his family living in Nashville for now two years. Like, how awesome is that? He lives in Nashville, We Tennessee. love it here. Oh, my gosh. So how, how did you pick Nashville out of all the places in the world to live? You're living in New York. You're traveling all over the world. But, like, yeah. why Nashville, Tennessee? Well, we were in uh, we were in Manhattan for 26 years, and pre-pandemic, I had uh, a wife and two kids in a 1,200 square foot two bedroom. If I told you what we paid, you wouldn't believe it. And uh, you know, well, here was the example of our New York City financial life: we would lease the same Kia Sorento for $316 a month, and then we would park it for $600 a month and insure it for another $300 a month. So it was like a $1,200 Kia, but. Try to go rent with Hertz on a holiday weekend, and it's five fifty a day. So, like you know, three days of using your car was actually cheaper to. So it was it was insane. Uh, but we had twenty five thousand square feet. We had about one hundred twenty people coming into the Charity Water office every day. You know, remote culture wasn't even on on our radar. And and then the pandemic happened, and you know, I looked at my wife. I'm like a four and a six year old, and like the size of this. Uh, this is not going to go well for us. So we wound up just pulling the, the ripcord on Manhattan, uh, moving to a farm in rural Pennsylvania. Um, I enjoyed uh, the rural life, just living kind of off the grid a little bit. And, you know, I went from doing 100 flights a year to zero. 
So my kids loved it. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't constantly leaving. I was just making breakfast, lunch, and dinner and, you know, on Zoom, like all of us, you know, from a spare bedroom. And we lived there for 18 months. We had 26 chickens and we grew our own food. And, and then uh, the world picked up again. And I had to start traveling and I just realized it was too far to an airport and I wouldn't see my kids, but we wanted to keep the farm. So I said, you know, where can I live with four seasons, no state tax and a great airport? And we had, my wife had actually never been, we're in, we're in Franklin. Uh, so we went on Zillow and there was one house for rent in all of Franklin and sight unseen, we rented it the same day. So my wife saw the house and the town for the very first time uh, and we loved it. That That's- was two years ago. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we had a good. third kid as well, but it was not Woo! part of the plan. So that's I'm awful. not I'm not courageous enough to have four like you. I can barely keep up with three. Same here, man. Well, congratulations on the 17. Thanks years. for uh, for having me, all everybody. I will say this, Scott. How you're gonna have the energy for another 17 years? Rock and roll.